Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, today we are talking with Rachel and Drew Harding, who are the owners of the Spokane Alpine House in Spokane, Washington. This is one of our blister-recommended shops, and I think you'll understand why after listening to this episode. Now, in this conversation, I have a couple personal favorite moments or highlights, and the first has to be, let's just say it, the rather shady circumstances under which Rachel and Drew met, but it's cool. We aren't going to report you, Rachel, to HR or anything like that, because you're really nice. So, it's all good. It seems like this story's had a happy ending, and uh, let's just roll with it. Anyway, you guys will see what I mean, and Rachel's probably going to kill me. We also not only talk about that shady introduction, but we do actually talk about Spokane itself, which maybe you already know about the ski scene there, but if you don't, Rachel and Drew make a really compelling case for it, and I know I personally want to get out there soon to check it out. And on kind of a related note, we talk a good bit about the Alpine House's major equipment leasing program, which is really cool. And I confess, I wonder if this might be something that some of the shop folks listening to this episode might be able to implement in your location. I don't know. And then we also talk about kids gear, which we don't often do on Gear 30, And I don't know, maybe we should change that. Anyway, Rachel and Drew are terrific, and we love what they have going on in Spokane. And so with that, let's get to our conversation. And again, apologies, Rachel. Well, Rachel and Drew, it's great to be with you today. We've just been on a little technological adventure so, uh, you know, we, I think that was kind of a bonding moment for all of us. And here we are, just three audio professionals ready to uh, have a incredibly professional conversation, at least from a technological point of view. I don't know if we're going to say smart things, but man, our audio is going to be on point. So kudos to the two of you. And um, how do I segue out of that into like, you know, non-ridiculous sounding things. I'm not sure, but let me try this. Um, Let's go with uh, Rachel. Why don't you tell us where you and Drew currently are? Oh, uh, well, we are in Spokane, Washington. I've heard of it. Yeah. uh, Spokane's pretty awesome, actually. Uh, We moved here back in 2014. Actually, Drew's from here. So he moved back and I moved with him. (laughs) Okay. Maybe yeah. maybe we need to start with the sort of origin story of Drew and Rachel. So Drew, we've just learned originally from Spokane. Where and when on earth did you cross paths with Rachel? So I moved to Boise, Idaho to go to school at Boise State. And then it was... After I graduated college, I actually got a call from a buddy who was working for a local ski resort up in Sandpoint, but he was promoting their season at a couple movie premieres down in Boise. And he said, hey, I bumped into this lady who's looking for someone to manage a retail store down down here because I had come back up here for the summer to Spokane. And so 
He's like, just give her a call. Talk to her, see if it's something you're interested. So I called and we kind of chatted a little bit. And she said, come see me when you get back to Boise. So I came down and we chatted. They had an interview, got offered the job. And that's kind of where I met Rachel. She offered me a job managing one of her retail stores in Boise. So... This is fantastic. Rachel, I want to know more about how this initial interview went. <laughs> uh, how did Drew do in your in your interview? Well, he obviously did really good. I mean, spectacular. I'll give him that. It is funny because we always joke uh, that I the way that we met was I hired him and I was his boss. Uh, I sometimes feel like it has come full circle <laughs> now that we own the shop together. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> no, but <laughs> um, no, just kidding. Um, no, so yeah, I owned a Helly Hansen store actually in Boise, Idaho. Huh. Um, and had that store. I started it in 2006. And I was looking for a store manager. And yeah, I get this phone call. And this guy's like, I know the person who you need to hire. And he interviewed and honestly, he, he was, such, he, he was fantastic because he actually knew the brand really well and had used it and talked about all those things they tell you to do in an interview, you know, uh, talked about that brand relationship and I couldn't not hire him. Um, but I will tell you, we worked together platonically for, I think it was about two years before we ever, ever dated. So, um, we have that work history, which I think has helped us. Uh, in our business with Spokane Alpine House. <laughs> I feel like this is its own entire podcast conversation. <laughs> like couples yeah, you, couples that work together, you know? Um, <laughs> okay, well, that kind of killed my, like, I was going to ask, I mean, you know, in this first interview, did you keep this completely professional or was there a little bit in the back of your mind or is like, this guy's kind of cute? I mean, be honest. Love this. Right, honestly, I thought he was really cute. Oh, really uh, cute. But, Not kind of, but you got really cute, Drew. Oh, hey, yeah. I, I needed everything I could get. <laughs> um, but I never thought about it in that way. You know, it's like you look at somebody like, oh, that's a good looking person. Uh, you know, but at the time I truly was you know, focused on the job position. So and we were funny when we worked together those first few years. I mean, I think we like yelled at each other a lot. You know, I'd be like, hey, did this get done? And he was like, yes, it got done this way. And I was like, all right, I guess it did. Cool. <laughs> Drew, in this first interview, were you like, wow, she's kind of cute? Or were you keeping it fully professional? Be honest. I, I think it was professional, but I she was definitely cute. And I'd been in her store before, so I had seen her around. I didn't know who she was or anything. But like <laughs> Rachel said, we were both in relationships that needed to be over when they were officially over. I don't think I said that. But uh, that is no. true. Yeah, you did <laughs> not, my, you did not say need, that. Mine needed to be over. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Wow, this is going, yeah, we might just, <laughs> this is like shop talk meets love connection. This is a first for us here on, on Gear 30. I know, you asked how we met and I was like, I know where this is going, yeah. so here yeah, we go. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> you, were, you were right, Rachel. Um, okay, so you hire Drew, you guys get some good experience running it. Maybe this is the sign for like, 
maybe more of us need to do this, right? As we, you know, go through life trying to figure out the right relationship, spend a couple years working in a shop together, maybe that ends up being a good indicator on, you know, one's chances of like making a real go of it. This, this is pure speculation. Thoughts on this? Say how, how many relationships do you hear that start in the workplace? I mean, it, it's, it was, it was a way to work with someone to get to know someone. And I mean, we would hang out, go grab drinks after work, stuff like that. And so you kind of get to know this person without having the pressures of, of having to date them. And Plus, when you're in the outdoor industry, you're in an industry that you know, okay, we're like-minded. We like the same things. So that actually worked out to our benefit as well, 100%. But what I was, you would never have that. I mean, it's it's so weird. If you knew right away that you like someone, you're not going to have the time to work together to go, oh, we're going to hold off until we make sure that we work together well. It just, that's just kind of how it happened for us. So, right. you know, every relationship's different, but this one was fun. It was fun. <laughs> okay, so we know Drew grew up in Spokane. Rachel, where did you grow up? I grew up in Missoula. I've heard Montana. of Montana. Heard of that place too. Um yeah. and what were you into? What were your sports growing up or, you know, what are your sports, Rachel? Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up doing all the typical sports, uh basketball, softball, you know, all the team sports that you play, play in school. Um, but when I was in high school, I really got into skiing. Um, I just, I actually had, I had been playing volleyball my freshman year and I just decided it just wasn't for me. And I kind of made a goal that I wanted to become a really good skier. Uh, my sophomore year was kind of when it became a little more serious for me. And we were a skiing family growing up. I mean, we always, that was, I'm the youngest of four kids in five years uh, and so that was what we did every single weekend. And, um, I, you know, I have tons of memories kicking and screaming, going up to the hill, not wanting to go as a, as a little kid, you know, being a, you know, not, not a cool little kid. And, or, but at some point it shifted and I fell in love with it. And then as I went into college, that's when I really got serious about skiing. And so it became a passion at that point. Hmm. Yeah. Drew, same question. Yes, yeah, similar. I mean, my mom got us into skiing when I was probably five or six. And so that was, we'd go up uh, usually once a weekend, we'd take some lessons, ski part of the day with a class and then ski part of the day with my mom. My sister kicked and screamed all the way up to the mountain and, and never loved it. And I kind of I always had that, that passion for skiing and being outside and it was something fun to do, but I took a hiatus in, in high school and like middle school because I played a lot of basketball growing up and we played on a fairly competitive team. And so coaches usually didn't like uh, the athlete skiing. And then college, my first two years of college, I played soccer um, for a, a local junior college here in, in the area. Um, so skiing was definitely frowned upon and didn't didn't get to do much skiing until after I was done with that. So as soon as I, I hung up the cleats, I kind of picked up skis again and it's been new skis ever since. So <laughs> Nice. I want to have you guys tell us more about Spokane. Um, I feel like, you know, maybe Spokane isn't as famous as other kind of outdoor towns or something. And so 
tell our audience, because we've got people listening to this in New Zealand and France and Australia, et cetera, what should people know about Spokane and kind of the Spokane community? Spokane is a very outdoor focused community, it seems like, whether it's, I mean, we've got a thousand lakes around us, you've got forests, you've got camping, you've got, I mean, the bike trails, mountain biking is pretty big around here. And then obviously, we're super fortunate that there's five ski resorts within an hour and 45 minutes, hour and a half of, of Spokane with a fairly major airport. And Canada's only almost three three hours away just over three to get to red so when the borders open up i mean you get up into red and then i mean your options are endless as soon as you cross the border so spokane's a nice gateway to a lot of different activities and whatever your passions are uh you may or may not know this jonathan but uh i think it was Four years ago, maybe, uh, Powder Magazine touted Spokane as one of the top five new ski towns in the United States. Um, it was it was really cool. They did a whole segment on it, and basically, what they were talking about was ski pricing and af- affordability of skiing. And they were saying a lot of those, you know, cliche ski towns that we all grew up hearing about: your Vales, your Aspens, your Tahoes. They're wonderful, wonderful places. But they are now so expensive that when you think of the typical, I would guess, say, ski bum or someone who is truly passionate about skiing but might not have the income to afford those places, what this article was about was what what are those places that you that has excellent skiing uh, and snowboarding, obviously, uh, excellent ski terrain. Uh, but that you can actually afford it. And we were we were in that top five. And it was something we were pretty proud of. I, we had a lot of people come talk to us at the shop about it. And we actually had some people who came in and said they moved here because of that, because of that article, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, and it's, it's dead on. This area, the ski prices here, it's amazing. Um, a family can go skiing. It's affordable. The mountains are fantastic. Uh, there, I mean, literally five different mountains. So, um, I don't know if you want me to name yeah, them, I do. but there's, okay. So there's Mount Spokane, there's 49 degrees North lookout, uh, silver mountain, and then Schweitzer mountain. So those are all these great mountains. So, and some have a little more local feel and some are getting to be a little bit more resort. Um, but they're all awesome and they're all accessible. I'd love to actually stay on this for a minute. Tell us a bit more like how would you distinguish or differentiate those five resorts you just named? Like, give us the like, okay, here's the most local or most kind of no frills, you know, help us understand this scene. So it's it's funny. All of these resorts are actually doing a fair amount of upgrades to their facilities, whether it's new lifts, new lodges, or a combination of both. Um, Mount Spokane is the closest. I mean, we live on the far south south side of town next to the shop, and Mount Spokane is kind of on the north side of town. So from our house, like, door to top of mountain is 45 minutes, 50 minutes. Um, and then we're lucky that 49 degrees north is probably just like an hour, hour, hour and 15 north of Spokane. Um both are kind of local feels. They've kind of got their own little perks. I mean, Mount Spokane, great family prices, good terrain, um, really good ski 
programs up there developing kids and lessons and race team. Um, and then 49 is kind of, 49 is where I actually grew up skiing. Um, that's where I took my lessons and it, it was always a no frills. Yeah. You kind of got basic two seater lifts and now they're starting to put in more lifts and high speed lifts and they're actually replacing their, their main lift right now. Um, so it's, they're going through quite a bit of upgrades and they were recently purchased and the guy that purchased them also owns silver mountain. So now they're doing a combo pass where you can get both resorts on one pass. Um, so there's a lot of cool little perks like that. And then, I mean, Rachel can chime in too, but silver mountain, they had the longest gondola in North America for a while. Um, cause you park down in the town and then you ride this huge gondola, which is a pretty cool, um, attraction. P people show up from all over just to ride the gondola on scenic routes to go up, check out the mountain, ride back down to town. Um, which is pretty cool. You can get a lot of people that have their routine. They, they bring their bag, get in the gondola, get all geared up, drink their coffee on the way up to the mountain. By the time they get to the top of the mountain, they're, they're ready to go, go rip. So yeah, look, look out touts the best uh, snowfall. Uh, I mean, many, many times in the nation, it has the highest snowfall. It's uh, right on the Continental Divide, basically on the Montana-Idaho border. Literally half, half the mountain is in Montana, half is in Idaho. And they just get a, a ton of snow there. Um, that's also, it's a small mountain, um, but... I always just say, man, that place has the best vibe. Uh, they have a free ski school for little kids, which is insane. I don't know who else does that. Um, and then Schweitzer would be probably touted as the most resort, you know, like it's, it's defined as a resort more in, uh, in our area. So big, it's definitely growing. Gosh, it's growing a ton. <laughs> Specifically Schweitzer. Yeah. Okay. Schweitzer is, is your true resort. You want to stay in a hotel on the mountain. There's ski in, ski out condos. I mean, you can cat ski off the back of it. They've got a, a cat operation that operates up there. Um, restaurants in the village, shopping in the village. I mean, there's, it's your true resort. And they, they just joined the Icon Pass this year. So we're expecting to see a bunch more traffic flying into Spokane on their way to Schweitzer. So we're going to get into more of the details about Spokane Alpine House, but let's kind of go here next, which is what kind of clientele then are you seeing at the shop? Like what is the kind of breakdown of locals versus visitors coming through to get to any of the number of ski areas you've just talked about? Or, you know, how, how does that the actual demographic, what does that look like for your shop? Um, I, we service a lot of families, like growing families. And I remember when Rachel and I bought the shop, one of the coolest things I think I ever heard was a guy came in with his young kids and he said, hey, they're here to get size for their season lease gear. And he goes, oh, and by the way, this is where my parents brought me to get my season lease gear. So seeing like the history and the heritage i mean spokane like i said it's kind of a, a blue collar community so we try and service everyone we can having affordable prices and giving obviously the season lease program and huge huge selection of gear to get as many people into a sport that we love um get them to experience it as well so 
Yeah. And it's interesting you saying kind of who's coming into your store. Uh, we definitely have a base customer. I mean, we have a customer base for sure that comes in that we know they come in every year. Two things have been really interesting. One, apparently Spokane is the number four growing community in the United States. And we really, really felt it last, especially last winter. Um, I couldn't believe how many people were coming into our store that I, you know, had never been in before. And we said, Oh, have you been in before? No, I just moved here. And people were moving to Spokane from everywhere. So kind of cool talking about Spokane. Apparently the word is out that it's a, it's a cool place. And, um, kind of a funny little tidbit on Spokane that kind of connects to this, but, uh, a lot of times people drive through Spokane because it's on the I-90 corridor. And what you see on, on, on I-90, it's it's uh, it's not my favorite part of Spokane. I guess I would just say that. It's it just, you know, you, there's nothing really, I guess, fancy about it. But the crazy thing about Spokane is when you get off the beaten path and you get off the highway, there's all these layers to this city. Um, I've learned so much. I, we've lived here. Oh my gosh. We lived in, we lived in Coeur d'Alene first, but we moved to Spokane in 2016 and still we'll go drive down some road. And I'm like, where are we? And it looks like this completely cool, different community. I mean, it's just, it's, it's super cool town, but you got to get off the, I always say the I-90 corridor, the other customer base. And we do get it. We get a lot of people um, we're actually closest to the airport. So if someone, you know, needs, you know, is, is going cat skiing somewhere, a lot of times we get people who are, and this didn't happen last year, obviously with COVID, but people will fly into Spokane to go skiing in Canada and, you know, they forgot something or whatever. We just seem to be that spot that people come discover first, which is pretty cool. Um, we love meeting new people from all different walks of, you know, life <laughs> and areas. Yeah. You talked about there being a pretty blue collar feel to Spokane. And you've talked about how one of the cool things is that there either is an emphasis or it's just kind of worked out this way that the skiing actually has been, I guess we could say both pretty family focused and affordable. And, you know, there has obviously been a lot of talk in the past, however many years about what we could be doing as a ski industry to make things more affordable, you know, uh, and more accessible to more people. And so this is something that I would definitely love to talk more about in this conversation and specifically, you know, some of the things you guys are doing at the shop. Before we get there though, I guess, why don't you lay out for us like what different sport categories are you catering to at Spokane Alpine House today? So we're, I mean, it seems to be we're a pretty typical outdoor shop. So winter is is our heavier focus where we do ski, snowboard, um, touring, as well as we do some snowshoes, accessories, all of the apparel that goes with all of those activities, your technical outerwear, base layers, you name it, helmets, goggles. And then summer, we take more of a, a water sports focus. So with having a ton of lakes around the area, we do paddle boards, inflatable kayaks. Um, we do wakeboards and then the wake surf, uh, slalom skis, and kind of all your casual apparel, sunglasses, fun, fun accessories that goes with all that stuff. So yeah, we kind of 
focus winter on the mountain and then focus lake lakes in the summer kind of around all the water sports snow and lakes doesn't sound yeah. terrible no we're, <laughs> yeah we're, we're lucky that we get to play for work so hmm. and jumping back to the snow side of things and this issue of affordability i want to talk a bit about the lease program that you guys have in place and and again frankly i was telling you guys earlier i mean as a single guy with no kids this is not something that has been terribly front of mind you two now have you know not just as business owners but you know your own uh expanded family you know this has become uh more real let's say for for you um but i have come to really realize in part through a number of conversations with some of our different recommended shops um just how pivotal things like a good leasing program can be for communities. So I would just love to hear you two talk a bit more about what the program looks like currently at the Alpine House. We're really proud of our lease program that we have at our store. Uh, the cool thing is a lot of times when I think people think about lease programs, they almost always think about kids and m most of it is children for sure. Uh, we did find a gap uh, where we really needed to help adults get into this sport as well. Um, so, so just to touch base on that, we, we started, when we first bought the business, uh, there was only a lease program for kids and it, it, it was, I, I mean, it really wasn't that small. It was, I think we did roughly around 350 a year, but we saw right away that parents were so grateful for this and they were grateful be, for a number of reasons. Uh, one of them being they didn't have to hold on to this gear and figure out what to do with it as their kids were growing. Um, secondly, it's just, it's immensely affordable uh, in if you're doing that instead of buying all the gear outright. So obviously kids grow. So our program is we just charge $149.95 for the entire season, and that's skis, boots, bindings, or snowboards, uh, boots, and bindings. And uh, and we actually have a program too where if you pay early, if you if you do it early, uh, you get a discount, and we actually call you to come in uh, a little bit earlier. So um, our goal is really kind of once we got the program going, we saw really quickly that we wanted these kids to get in the best gear. Um, I've seen a lot of lease shops across the United States and sometimes they look great. And sometimes I can't believe what these kids are in. Um, I also see that um, I love ski swaps. I think ski swaps are immensely important. Um, but so many times people are going there without any guidance at all. And so these kids are getting in gear that is just, um, it, it's not the right gear for them. And so we really quickly uh, took it upon ourselves to make sure that kids get in the best gear that they can get in to make them love the sports, the sport, because we know that they're going to be our future customers of tomorrow. And we want to make sure that they start off with the bet with the, best footprint to begin with. What we found a few years into it, we kept on having adults be like, what about me? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because let's be real as, as an adult, you aren't growing anymore. You're not changing. And if we really want to do 
best, best for our customer. We want to get them in a boot that specifically fits them. And we want them to get in a ski that really works for them. And that, that is the best thing that you can do. But there was still a gap where there's just people who have never done the sport and they don't want to invest that kind of money without getting their toes wet. So what we ended up doing a few years ago is we started an adult lease program and it's, it's super cool. So you pay $2.99 at the beginning of the season and you get brand new skis, boots and bindings um, or snowboard boots and bindings. And if you like the gear at the end of the year, you can buy it all, all out for another $2.99. Um, but if sometimes people get into it and they go, Oh, I really like it, but I realize these boots don't work for me. So they'll maybe return it. And then we can actually get them in a boot that fits them more correctly. Um, but we never try to sugarcoat it by saying, Hey, this is just what you should do. We kind of have a good, better, best system. And our season lease is our good system. Um, we say, Hey, listen, this is going to get you on the mountain. This is going to get you in good gear. We don't sugar, we, we don't scrimp on the adult gear as well. We, we've always had that conversation where we want to make sure that they're still in gear that gets them really excited about the sport. Cause you know, someone who's dabbling in the sport, we don't want them to have a bad experience either. So, um, so that's kind of our lease in a nutshell. Um, I don't know if I'm missing something big, Drew, if there's something you want to add on. No, I, I think you nailed it. I mean, the biggest thing is we want to make it affordable because it seems more often than not the families that are getting into the sport have multiple kids. And so you think about having to buy gear for mom and dad and two or three kids. I mean, that is a huge investment right there. So if we can help lighten the load and get these kids into really good quality gear, make sure they're fit properly. So they're going to have a good experience on the hill and they're going to be safe and they're, the gear is going to perform properly. I mean, it, it takes a huge load off, off the parents so that they can buy those lift tickets or buy the season passes, or maybe take a, a ski vacation and actually go to one of these more expensive places sometime throughout the year, um, rather than just skiing locally. So being able to give give people an affordable option. And I think Rachel nailed it with the adult lease. It's We saw a lot of people the last two, three years move into the area, just getting into it or saying, hey, my husband has skied for years and years and this is the year I've got to go up and try it. I've got to see what it's all about. I know we're going to go six, eight times. So what do you have? And going six, eight times, standing in line at the mountain to get your rentals and return them at the end of the day. It's it's cheaper and it's more efficient to get them for the season from us and just leave them in the garage. And if you love it, you've got an option to buy it. If you hate it, you've got the option to just bring it back and you're done with it. So, As somebody who's never run a lease program, I'm curious about this question because this sounds quite interesting. So let's say that I wanted to open my own ski shop and I've learned from you guys that this lease program can be an interesting way to kind of, you know, bring kids in and onboard adults into this sport. But you are saying, Rachel, you said, you know, you have seen certain lease programs where you've looked at the gear that they're sending people out in and you've been like, I can't believe they're doing that. I mean, talk a little bit about like, what are the options? Again, you know, I'm starting my own shop here, right? So what are my options? Does it really just come down to how much you are willing to spend on lease equipment or 
like in terms of the range, if we're ranging from that stuff really should, nobody should be getting sent out to the mountain to ski in that equipment versus what you're calling the good stuff. Tell me a little bit about how that works. I mean, it's interesting. I guess I would say uh, last year's a good example of, I guess, looking into how how we buy gear. So, um, I mean, we basically look at when we're buying gear, we're looking at different options and things that make sense for our business, obviously, as well as the consumer. So we're kind of looking at collective whole. And it's it's sometimes different every year. I would tell you, we're not just sitting there working with the same company year in, year out. We're, we're seeing what fits the, the niche that we needed to fit in that year. Um, last year was really interesting in that um, with COVID, there were no sports. Like you couldn't play basketball, right? You couldn't play all, all the things that Drew said, oh, I wasn't allowed to go skiing, you know, because I was playing basketball or playing soccer, or what, what have you. Uh, that's what happened last year. And so what we found really interesting and surprising was a ton of people said, well, if I can't do that, our family is going to get out and we're going to go skiing this winter. And so um, we ended up, we, we purchased new leases every year, you know, where we're getting, we're building and growing our program as well as getting rid of leases every single year, (laughs) you know? Um, But what we found last year is very quickly, we actually ran out and our, our goal in our business. And I would say if we have one thing that that's just insanely important for our business in particular is we never want to say no to a customer. We hate the word no. <laughs> and so when you run out of leases and someone says, hey, I want to, you know, my kids want to go skiing and there was no ski swap this year. I mean, there really wasn't as many avenues for people to get gear, but there was a bigger demand than ever. And so, uh, so we just kept on buying lease gear and we really did it. We kept on thinking, are we crazy? We would, we would do another large order and we'd look at each other and go, Oh my God, are, <laughs> is this too much? Did we are, is now no one going to get leases? And then within two weeks we'd sell out of them. Um, and so we just kept on doing that until there was really no gear to even purchase. We hit limits with our vendors even where they were like, we're sold out, we're sold out. Um, and then what we did from there, and this is kind of, interesting but so we do a buyback program as well which we haven't even talked about um but we also have an option for kids where they can buy new gear and they so brand new they pay retail uh ski it for up to two full seasons and then we actually buy it back from them at 50 percent off uh toward new gear so so um because we never want to say no, what we started doing, we either told people, hey, you can, you have the option, you can purchase this. Or if affordability is an, is an issue, or something you don't want to do, we're going to buy this from basically into our store, and we're going to put it into our lease program, and we're going to make sure you get fit. Um, and it's not something that a lot of businesses do, but it's something where we would rather eat the cost that's supposed to go somewhere else, or maybe the margin that we were supposed to get, we don't care. We want to get families on on the snow. That, and that is way more important to us. And our thought process on that is we might be giving a little more here, but if we are getting our customer 
in whatever we can to make them have a good experience, we're going to win in the long run. We're going to totally win. And so it's a win-win for everyone. Um, and that's what we ended up doing. We just had to get really creative last year, uh, last year in particular, but I think every year, cause we have grown since we've bought the business every single year. So every year we're problem solving on how to make sure people get in the right, right stuff. That's interesting. I mean, I'm thinking about like, is that a sort of model that some other shops listening to this conversation, like if that might work for them? And I'm guessing the volume has to maybe be there for this to work out and make sense. Does that seem fair? Yeah, I'd, I'd say the the volume for sure. And the stuff that we purchase, we purchase with the intent to be able to use for a couple of years. So it's not in purchased as a, hey, we have to get all of our margin out of it this year. Because the unfortunate thing is that would probably price some of our customers out and we know that. So we're very conscious of the gear we buy in hopes that it's got a tougher top sheet. It's got more, it's got a thicker sidewall, thicker edge. Um, maybe it, it is more geared from their rental collection that has a, a beefy, sturdier production to it than some other skis. So we're buying the gear that can last for a few years to get a few few families out on it. A question maybe related to lease programs is uh, we were having a conversation about interesting ways to damage ski equipment. And you were like, oh, right, we should maybe talk about a damage policy that we have. Talk a little bit about that policy that goes with the lease program. And if you wish to share an anecdote or two about interesting ways you've seen ski equipment, you know, damaged badly, feel free to share. <laughs> uh, it's such a good, it's such a good point. Um, yeah. I mean, when you think about what skis are, they are, it, I mean, they're literally sticks going down a mountain that they're going to hit things, right? They're going to, they're going to, they're going to have damage. There's a reason you wax and service skis, right? Um, so we've definitely seen our fair share of, uh, of interesting skis come back. Um, Drew and I were sharing this story and we were skiing one day down the hill and we basically got to the base. We were done skiing and we took our skis off the way you're supposed to before you walk to the car and right past us come these I think three or four just kids ripping into the parking lot and you know, they're skiing all the way to their car and you see the gravel and you see the sparks. And I looked at drew and I just said, Oh God, look at their skis. Oh, that's awful. And drew looked at me and he goes, I bet those are our lease skis. <laughs> and then and that's was... when Rachel ran over and started wailing on three kids and Drew you had to pull her off, right? That's how that story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we had to we had to get her in the car. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, honestly in all reality, I think I paused and looked at him and went, "Oh shit. I think you're right." <laughs> so is this when you had the bright idea to create this the damage policy or what was that already in place? No, yeah, not not initially. Okay. I actually think it maybe still even took us another year. But uh, you know, as you see over time, and as your program grows, you you see skis and snowboards come back, and you're like, "What happened?" And it's it, it had for a while it was these uncomfortable conversations that you're having with the parents as they return the skis, going, 
we, well, um, okay, you know, this don't know what happened. Broken. I was yeah. just skiing oh, down it, a completely yeah. clean groomer. No idea. Right. Yeah. Oh, I know we heard that story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just skiing along. Just skiing happened. along. Yeah. Um, so I think it was probably two years ago, something like that. We, we said, yeah, we need to do a damage waiver. So we basically just said, Hey, we're just going to charge 10 bucks. Um, and, it, and, and it's optional, by the way, we don't, it's not a forcing or anything. We tell our families, we say, Hey, this is an option. Uh, it's $10 for each setup. Um, but it covers everything except for loss or theft for and, the entire the- season. Oh, yeah. My goodness. It's less than the, yeah, sorry to interrupt. It's, it's less than the price of a wax. Um, and it covers everything. And so that way, when people bring skis or there's an issue, it's just complete peace of mind on both ends. No one has to worry about it. it, it it's, it's a wonderful policy. And, um, I, I would say actually most families are thankful that we have it. Yeah. And I, they can't say yes fast enough. And maybe best of all, you aren't beating up children in the parking lot anymore. <laughs> so that seems like, <laughs> that seems good. Yeah. Uh, that's on, that's on tape forever, by the way, Rachel. So yeah. no big deal. Um, but again, I mean, that sounds like something, 10 bucks for the season. That's another volume play. If I had six pairs of skis in my lease program <laughs> and was collecting $10 a season. I don't think that math probably works, but you guys are doing some volume here in the lease program. Absolutely. The program has grown a ton. I mean, when we first bought the shop in the end of 2015, they were probably doing about 350 pair. And there was a couple of other shops in town doing probably similar numbers. And since then, a couple of those shops, owners have retired. They've closed their shops and other things have, have come up. So some shops have closed. Um, our program, there was always more of a demand than we had. And so we've been adding more skis to the fleet every year. And so we're last year, we we're probably close to 2,500. And I think this year we'll probably be over that 3,000 mark with, with the adult lease program that we added. We've got a better kind of tweeners market as well. Those kind of kids that are 12, 13, but still going to go through a growth spurt. And mom and dad are trying to hold off for a couple more years before they invest in a big set of skis for them. Because, I mean, once they get 14, 15, they're kind of adult sizes, then they're in adult skis and boots and prices go up quite a bit from the junior stuff. So, yeah, it, we do a fair a large volume of these lease skis. So the $10 is just more of a, a peace of mind for everybody. I mean, it's, it's uh we don't want to ask questions. We don't want to confront customers. I mean, every time you tell a customer, Oh, Hey, you destroyed this pair of skis. We're going to have to have you pay the cost to replace it. And then that's the opportunity for them to say, get upset with us and, and want to go shop somewhere else. So we just want to make it clean, easy and not not feel like we're we're charging people for for damage on on the back end because to fix to fix a ski if someone blows an edge out most likely the ski's done and has to be replaced if it's a huge gouge because they hit a rock i mean that's something that we have to then spend the time to fix and and grind and make that ski flat and, and tune tune the edges again so it's it's a time commitment to us but we've invested in machinery and the labor to to do that i need to let you guys get going soon i think if i have this right 
there's a three-year-old to attend to, a four-month-old, and a house that you haven't managed to finish building in like three years. So, so you have a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, pots on the stove or irons in the fire or something. So I, I'm actually literally feeling guilty that I'm making you talk to me this long. But before I let you go, I thought we should talk just a little bit more about kids equipment, you know, and I was just asked about this, uh, this week, you know, a parent saying, you know, it's, it's time. Like I'm, I'm gonna, we're gonna get the family all in ski equipment this year. And, you know, what should I be looking for? You guys are outfitting a lot more kids with, uh, ski equipment than, than I am as of late. And so what kind of advice would you offer to parents looking to get their kids onto quote unquote better equipment as opposed to worse equipment. What does that look like to you? So I can't, I can't speak for every ski shop out there, snowboard shop out there. What I would tell parents is never be afraid to go to your locally owned, the the best shop that you have in town. And if you have gear or if you're looking for gear, you need some guidance. I don't care if you have gear, bring that gear in and say, these are my kids. I don't know if they're in the right. I think that's starting point number one. I mean, not not even saying, hey, what should I buy and what should I not? But are they in the right size? Um, is, is the hand-me-down okay? Um, one thing that we're, again, proud that we offer at our store is we tell people we we are not in the business of just trying to make a sale. We want people and kids and adults, everyone, we want them to be in the right gear. So these families who, let's say, have three kids come in and they're like, I have this pair of skis, this pair of skis, and this boot, and this boot. Come in, we actually sit the kids down, we fit, we size them, and we go, this boot that you have here is going to work great for Johnny. This one is going to be awesome for, you know, Krista or whatever. Um, and But this is not going to work for you. It's, it's three sizes too big. He is not going to have a, a good experience in this. And what I like about that is it makes it saves them money and it also gives them the opportunity to do business with us if they so choose. So um, that's the first step I would tell parents. Don't be afraid to go to your shop and just ask for help. And I actually, we, we encourage families to come in with their gear that they currently have because we actually want to take a look at that gear. Um, and you know, I mean, so you'd be surprised how many times you see a ski come in that's 20 years old and the bindings don't work anymore. Right. Um, and you're like, wow, it's actually not safe to put your kid on this. So, um, so we want to see the gear. So that's step number one. Step number two, if it, it just depends on ability and levels. Um, what these kids are looking for small kids, to be honest, um, small kids, it's, it's more of a weight ratio. Um, they need to be able to flex the ski and so a lot of the skis are made similar, but they have different graphics. And you want your kid to be stoked on skiing. So find the color and <laughs> the, the, the design that makes them the most excited. As they start to get older and as their skills advance, it's kind of crazy the gear that these brands are making for kids in that mid-range. And Drew, I don't know if you want to you know, tap into that, but it's, it's pretty cool to watch, to see the shapes uh, of skis coming out and what these kids can do on these skis. Yeah. I mean, Rachel hit it perfectly. There's a full range. I mean, you can get your little, little, that's basically a foam core ski. That's good for 
kid that's 30 pounds that's making the most wicked pizza down the hill and trying trying to stop or you could be the next like race prodigy out there that has to have a stiffer ski and has to be in a stiffer boot but so it it all depends on your kid's ability level and I can't say enough how many people come in they're like, hey, I bought this boot online. I don't know much about it, but here's my shoe conversion and this is what I'm supposed to be in. And it's two or three sizes too big. So for these parents, find a local shop. Find I'm sure they know someone who has bought something locally or has, has been to a shop. These, I mean, I'll speak for us. We go through a pretty extensive training process to make sure the people that are talking to us and that are talking skis have the knowledge, know how to fit, know why a boot should fit a certain way. And and same thing with skis. You don't want to put a kid on a ski that's too tall because it's going to be too hard for them to turn. And it should be fun. They should be able to maneuver the ski and have a good time out there unless their goal is to go as fast as they can around gates or train park. And then you obviously find the right product for them. So just talking to your, your local experts going to get you where you need to be and they're going to help guide you to the to the right product and make sure you get the kid on the ski with the right color yeah, absolutely the, the little little kids it doesn't ever change i mean it, parents sometimes will go oh get the new one that's still in the plastic and the kid goes well that color is way cooler why not do that one if, if they're excited about it, it means they're going to have fun on the hill because, you know, when they're riding that chairlift, they're, they're looking at that ski, they're, they're knowing they picked that one out and that was their favorite at the shop. So, Well, we just had our first snow of the year here in Crested Butte. Uh, Are you serious? Yeah, woke up to some, woke up to some snow capped mountains today. And so, uh, it's kind of alarming, like. (laughs) that's like yeah like flipping the switch you know and uh i was like man i need to hurry up and you know get my mountain biking season done uh because it's like winter is coming and uh but i'm curious for you when do you make this transition from lakes to snow it's uh I mean, pretty gradual around here. I mean, there's a lot of families that still take advantage of the warm weather and lakes in September, but we kick off our season lease fittings right after Labor Day. So that Tuesday is our first day for, for fittings. So we call the families that did the pre-buy. They come in those first couple of weeks, pick out all their gear. And kind of from then, like we're starting to receive winter products. So it's kind of like Christmas right now at the shop. We're unboxing new skis and new boots daily and helmets and goggles are showing up. So our winter season has like already started to transition, but I'd still say we have a kind of a summer feel with uh, winter products showing up. But soon as mid-September is here, we're pretty much a, a winter shop. Yeah, I say this was super cool. It was really fun defining one huge part of our business, which is our lease program. Um, there's so many other facets to ski shops. Uh, and there's so many things that we're proud of. But I think the cool thing is about these programs in general is they, you can't find these things online, you know, and, and we're in this world. And again, especially, you know, like talking about COVID last year, you look at Amazon and they grew 35% and you kind of go, Oh gosh, who, there's, you know, for someone who made money, there's someone who didn't make money. Right. And, uh, 
And so we're really proud of these programs that actually get people to come into our business. And we feel lucky every single day that we get to interact with people and share fun stories and, and talk ski and snowboarding and, um, and more than ever, you know, in this, in the world we're in where, um, you know, we're so isolated, we just feel really grateful. Uh, so, I mean, that would be the main thing that I, I would add is that we're just, we're so lucky that we get to, to keep the interaction with humans, you know, and people. Well, Rachel and Drew, Thank you for the conversation. This has been a lot of fun and it's really cool learning more about some more specifics into the programs that you guys have developed uh, at your shop. Sounds like you guys are on a good trajectory currently and and uh, I think I can kind of see why after this conversation. You, you two seem all right. Thank God. <laughs> thank God, Rachel, that you needed you know to hire somebody back at that shop however many years ago now and that drew was so so good looking and so got the job thank god he's good looking (laughs) (laughs) that's what i learned that's what i learned from that story that you know (laughs) from an hour ago so i think i think i pretty much nailed the details there well thank you i say we're so so honored to be a blister recommended reviewed shop i mean mind blown that that was probably the biggest compliment to us that we've had as a business don't you think, Drew? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you read the reviews that you guys put out, and it, it's always something that we, we bring in every year. I mean, even pre previous years to this, that you're like, cool, this is what I ordered. How does it line up with what you guys like, and, and what did your reviewers write? So this is a, a truly an honor for us to be recommended, especially by a, a company like your guys' that's that's national and worldwide that people truly read these reviews and come in and go, Hey, these are the three skis I'm looking at. I read about them in blister. Tell me why I need one of these over something else. So, well, that's kind of you to say and cool to, and cool to hear. So thank you for that. And on that note, I'm going to let you get back to the other 83 things going on in your life that you, you have uh, kindly, you know, spend time with me instead of attending to those things. So, uh, but this has been fun and I look forward to the next round. Yeah. Hey, thanks a ton, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. It is now time for our, what we're celebrating this week segment. It is currently exactly 9 16 PM on Thursday night. And tonight I'm going with a drink that isn't my normal go-to since I normally just pour whiskey in a glass and then I'm good to go. But tonight we're going back to the whiskey soda and I've got here Whistlepig's 10-year-old rye and just a splash of club soda and honestly it's a delightful little change-up. Nice little drink. And what I'm going to be raising my glass to this week is what I'm going to call the return of Ted Lasso. Now you guys have to know by now my love of Ted Lasso. I'm hoping many of you are all up to speed and caught up on season two. I will confess, season two has been good. I don't feel like it has consistently been nailing it in the way that season one was. But have y'all seen episode five yet? Like the, we'll just call it the Roy Kent episode. Uh, No spoiler alerts here. Episode five was incredible. I feel like the show is completely back on track. I loved it. 
and I was really stoked. So since, you know, we try to talk about Ted Lasso on as many podcasts as we possibly can. And, you know, since I like to try to sneak Ted Lasso references in on pretty much any and every podcast I can, tonight, what we're celebrating, the return of Ted Lasso. Cheers. And that then brings us to the end of this episode of Gear 30. I definitely want to say thanks to Rachel and Drew for the conversation and, you know, especially to Rachel for being a good sport. I want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again on Monday over on our Blister podcast feed. Have a great weekend, everybody.